Hello and welcome back to the Grazia Life Advice podcast, where women worth listening to pass on the six gems of wisdom they live by. We also hear one piece of advice they wish they'd never been given. I've absolutely loved recording this series. We've talked about Love Island, the importance of drinking water, Black Lives Matter, hair tips, skin tips, clothes tips, everything you can imagine from a range of great women. There's more excellent life advice available on your podcast feed. If you are subscribed, go back and check out the rest of the episodes. But we're not done yet. With us this week. My name is Stephanie Yeboa and I am an author of book Fatally Ever After, a freelance journalist and a plus size fashion content creator. As a fat acceptance advocate and fashion blogger, Stephanie has amassed an Instagram following of over 150,000 people. Her style is straight talking and her message is all about self-love. That evening when I got home, I decided to write a letter to my body, just apologising to it for all of the stuff that I had put it through. Because all it had ever done was try and keep me alive, yet I was treating it disgustingly. She shares her most traumatic online dating experience. He got up to go to the bathroom as you do when when they go to the bathroom, I was just like scrolling through my social media and I could see he was live tweeting the day and he was talking about how disgusting I looked, but how he was going to try and get to the end of the day anyway. And she tells us about her first ever hiking adventure where pride came before a fall, literally. I got to the top and I just cried because I was like, this is the first time that I've ever done something that I was genuinely scared of. And I completed it and I felt so good. Unfortunately, as we were descending the mountain, I tripped on a tree root and I fell all the way down and I broke my ankle. (laughs) This is yet another great Grazia Life Advice chat with another brilliant woman. Here she comes, Stephanie Yeboah. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Yes, fine, fine. I'm really, really happy to speak to you. You're here for lots of reasons, just because we wanted to get all your advice, but you have got a book coming out called Fatally Ever After. Can you? I love the title. Can you just tell us what the book's about? Oh, thank you. So I'm really, really proud of the title myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Fatally Ever After for me is a love letter to plus size black women. Um, what we have noticed over the last three to four years is the expansion of the body positive community. But what a lot of people don't know is that um, it was a community that was created predominantly by plus size black women and over time we have kind of been eradicated and minimalized in that movement in in favor for women who look a lot more acceptable in society and so for me the book is about bringing the perspectives thoughts ideas and emotions of plus size black women back to the forefront and just talking about how how our experiences differentiate from everybody else when you have two intersections such as being plus size and then being black on top of that. There are loads of things that we go through that not a lot of people know. So I kind of wanted to highlight those stories. Yeah. And can I ask, just because you get straight into it, because you mentioned it, body positivity as a word, body positivity, where are you on that scale? Because I know people now say we shouldn't talk about body positivity. It should be body neutrality. We should, you know, tell me your thoughts on that. Um, So I think back in the day, I definitely was a body positivity fan only because at that time it was a movement that was specifically created for bodies that do not have societal privilege. When it started to gain popularity around 2014, 
what we noticed was that the bodies that were being represented by body positivity started to get smaller and started to get lighter. And so we started to have um, models and, and spokesmodels for the movement, such as Ashley Graham and Iskra Lawrence and models who are a lot more palatable to the mainstream. They became the ones that started to define what body positivity was. It's, and I hate to use this comparison, but it's almost been all lives mattered a bit. It's kind of been a free for all mm-hmm. as opposed to a safe space for the bodies that really need it. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of women um, could relate to that feeling. And again, just to get straight into it, you mentioned it, your book's called Fatly Ever After. You talked about fat acceptance, the word fat. How do you feel about that? And I, I think we're getting to a better place with the word fat, right? Definitely. I know that it is a very, very loaded word. It's been a word that has been used to police and to primarily insult people for decades and decades and decades. But what we forget is that fat is a word like slim is a word, tall, short, black, white, you know, athletic, lean. All of these words are just words to describe a body type. But for some reason, the word fat has become so negative. And I think the thing with that word is that people equate it automatically to being ugly or to being unattractive because this is how society sees people that live in bigger bodies and so when somebody calls you fat they're not just saying it to describe your body type they're actually using it as another word for ugly about two years ago I decided to reclaim it because I said if I can call myself fat then somebody using that word to insult me it won't you know penetrate me emotionally as it used to before because it's just about taking power out of the word in terms of like negative power those of us that use that word now it's again it's just trying to reclaim it and say you know we're calling ourselves that so you can no longer use this word negatively against us and your first piece of advice is never to minimize yourself for others and I wondered is that physically or is it on another other levels too um it's both physically um mentally emotionally as well when I was younger I was very 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 insecure I had loads of self-esteem issues and because of that I developed this thing where I would never go for opportunities because I thought I didn't deserve to be in those fields for instance I went to university and I studied law because I felt like my parents wanted me to study law and I just felt like that was the only field I could do when really I actually wanted to study creative arts and I applied for the Brit school and all of these kinds of things but they wanted to kind of minimize me both physically but then also I felt like I couldn't be my true self because I had to be what other people wanted me to be and it's a very very restrictive feeling And what I notice is when you are bigger and you live in a bigger body, you're always apologizing for your body as opposed to to your body. And so once I got to a point where I felt my confidence was really good and my self-esteem was really good and I actually learned how to love myself, I vowed that I would not minimize the things that I liked, minimize the things that I like to do or minimize the spaces that I like to be in in order to make other people feel better. So 
that's when I felt like I really started living, started going to festivals, was going to things like spas. I was always very, very anxious about going to a spa because I just didn't want people to see me in like a robe or like have massages and things like that. I felt like I had to like try and make myself as small as possible in order to make the other person feel comfortable. If you could pinpoint something, do you think there's something that helped you move from one place to the other? What made you think, no, I'm not going to try and make myself smaller? The thing that um, I think was the highlight, well, low light, highlight, low light for me was when I was approaching my 23rd birthday. All my life I'd suffered from really bad sort of eating disorders, but at the time didn't really see it as an eating disorder because I was plus size. So people thought I was just being good, whereas it was actually really, really bad. And I wanted to go to Barcelona for my birthday. I thought, you know, do something different. My uncle lives there. I can hang out with him. Um, Never been to a beach before. So I thought in order to go on the beach and, you know, live my best life, I needed to have a bikini body. And so what I did was I challenged myself to lose, I think, about four stone before my birthday. By doing that, I undertook really dangerous um, practices I sort of started up this the eating disorder again and bulimia and um, using like laxatives and just like pills that my like my family had gotten from like random places online, which is, you know, they may have been illegal. Probably I, I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, but like really strong appetite suppressants and all of these things and just undertook really unhealthy ways to lose the weight, which I did. Um, so by the time my birthday came around in May, I had lost quite a, a significant amount of weight. And I remember being in Barcelona and I was in my bikini and I took a picture of myself and I just stared at myself and I just burst out crying because I was like, I've literally done all of this, all of this harm and all of this throwing up and really, really harming my body for the sake of who? because it wasn't for me, because my mental health was down the pan. I realized I was literally doing it so that other people could say that I was attractive, or I was nice, or I was worthy of just being on the beach. That evening, when I got home, I decided to write a letter to my body, just apologizing to it for all of the stuff that I had put it through. Because all it had ever done was try and keep me alive. Yet I was treating it disgustingly. And I think it was me seeing my body as its own separate entity, almost as another person and apologizing to it was what really gave me the kick up the bum to be like, okay, I really need to learn how to, how to stop this kind of abuse towards myself because it's not healthy. Yeah. I mean, we don't talk to anybody the way that we talk to ourselves, do we? I mean, we would never dream of saying those things to other people that we say to ourselves. Definitely. Yeah. Your second piece of advice, though, it's just going to switch <laughs> switch straight out of that into some fashion advice. Obviously, you're known for your absolutely fantastic fashion. If you don't follow Stephanie on Instagram, I highly recommend it. Uh, this is your top tip. And now you've got me thinking about my wardrobe. Tell us that. <laughs> uh, so my top tip is... Um peplums are your best friends if you are wider up top or you've got Mm -hmm. um wider shoulders so I remember the peplum trend came in gosh it must have been when I was in uni so like 2010 (laughs) or so and I remember they came out and I was just like this is weird what is this extra flap of material that everyone's wearing around their waist (laughs) like everyone just everyone just looks like tulips like it's just really weird (laughs) but then I remember going in store and 
just trying on one for banter. The way it balanced my body shape, I was like, this is amazing because mm. basically I'm bigger on top than I am on the bottom um, by two sizes. It's almost like I'm an inverted Dorito. Like I'm just kind <laughs> of shaped like an upside down triangle. <laughs> so sometimes, even though I'm very, you know, I'm very secure in how I dress and, and how I look, sometimes I kind of do want to kind of create a more balanced body shape. So it's so that everything that I wear isn't too top heavy. And so yeah, I, I fell in love with peplums. I fell in love with A-line dresses, A-line skirts, anything that had a bit of um, a bit of sort of like gathering at the bottom half. And I guess as well, you know, that works for you. And it's about fashion is about finding what works for you, right? And would you say that it's more about that than trends? Yeah, definitely. And I think I've spoken about this before in that when it comes to plus size clothing, it's a lot more difficult to find sustainable, um, sustainable options. Um, and if we do, <clears throat> for the most part, they are very, very expensive. So it's just about how can we find purse-friendly alternatives that are sustainable as well? And I hope in the future, you know, we could get some brands that are able to kind of merge those three. Yeah, brilliant. And what's it like dressing for Instagram? What's it like dressing knowing that you're putting yourself out there and offering, I guess, yourself up for their opinions? Um, for me, I have found it a great source of information when looking for clothes as well. I do follow people that have similar body shapes to me. Then I will look at what they're wearing before I go out and buy. I think for a lot of plus size people and plus size influencers, it's not so much about showing off what you're wearing and, and being free in it. It's also a case of we're also doing this because we want it to be instructional. We want people to actually ask where we got the outfit from and it's almost a bit of a a bit of a directory of outfits so we have like a functional use as well yeah yeah absolutely we've talked a lot about your body so far and your third piece of advice is to show your body gratitude tell me about that why did you decide that's important and how do you do that so for me I thought that was important because um when I was younger and I was going through this period of self-loathing and self-hate I I, I restricted my body a lot. I didn't want to, it's almost like I was punishing myself for existing. And I think a lot of women who have um, low self-esteem issues and confidence issues, we, without knowing, sometimes tend to punish ourselves. Society has made it so that we feel like we don't deserve to be here. So how do you like to show your body love and acceptance? So for me, what I like to do is it can be everyday little things such as having bubble baths or um, having like a full detox pamper day such as, you know, shave and wax everywhere and then use body lotion and you just come out looking like a dolphin. Like it's <laughs> really, really amazing. Um, I've also recently taken up yoga as well, which I know is like really like, not millennial, but it's very trendy at the moment. But every morning, just doing like 10 to 15 minutes of stretching really sets me um, sets me up for the day. And it just makes me feel really good. Um, drinking loads of water as well and trying to get as many like vegetables and like fresh fruit as possible has really helped me because, and I know that these all sound very generic and very sort of run of the mill kind of things. But for me, 
all of these things are still almost quite new to me. I think mm. I went on this um, before. I just used to eat like um, junk food all the time because I just didn't really care about, you know, if I had an allergic reaction or if I, mm. you know, reacted to it badly because I just didn't care about my body at the time because it was coming from a lot of self self hate and self loathing and it almost mm. felt like I wanted to punish my body for it. So just trying to inject, you know, good things into it, treating myself to a massage every now and again, which is something very new. And I think brave for me, because mm. being exposed like that in front of somebody that you've never met before, it can trigger a bit of anxiety. So that was something mm. that was, um, yeah, something that was really new, new for me. So yeah, just little bits and, and pieces like that. Buying really nice bits of like lingerie or like nightwear um, is also a really nice mm. way to kind of like treat yourself, I think, as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting to go back to your book, what you were saying about writing about things that aren't talked about. I mean, that's a lot of people be listening to the podcast thinking, I'd never even think twice about going for a massage. I'd never even think twice about going to a beach. And do you think it's important that we're talking about things that either women aren't saying and thinking or that women don't even consider to think about at all? Oh, absolutely. I'm very much for having these open conversations and dialogues when it comes to things that are, you know, that have always been seen as almost taboo. I am very much here for, yeah, talking about things that make us uncomfortable because that's the only way that we can confront it and make it a normal part of life. So for instance, very recently on my Instagram, I was talking about like inner thigh chafing and how that can cause um, discoloration and hyperpigmentation. And I had never seen that spoken about in public before. And the only time I had seen it spoken about was when people were saying how to get rid of it or how to lighten your skin. I'd never seen it you know, not celebrated, but I'd never seen it spoken about in just a very run of the mill way. And so I decided to take a picture of mine and I posted it up. And I think it's the most engagement I've ever had on an Instagram post. And it actually made me feel so good because people were saying, oh my gosh, nobody's ever spoken about this. And I suffer for it from it. And I felt so insecure about it. And it's so nice that somebody's actually, you know, speaking about this issue. And so I think that's what we all need. We just need people to talk about the things that people have deemed to be taboo because that's the only way we can normalise these issues. And hopefully the more we normalise in terms of body image specifically, then the less people will feel the need to compare themselves to other people. Yeah, fingers crossed. We'll be back with more from Stephanie after this. I'm here with Stephanie Yaboa. Stephanie, tell us your fourth piece of advice. So my fourth piece of advice is fake it till you make it. That is actually a piece of advice that I used to absolutely hate growing up. The question that I would ask would be, how do you get so confident? How do you get so confident? How are you wearing this? How do you have the confidence to wear or say or do this? And I would always expect a really detailed, you know, thorough answer. But when I would ask like my cousins or like friends, they would always say, well, just fake it till you make it. And so growing up, I always thought, oh, they're just like, you know, palming me off with this really idiotic answer. But as I got older and I started involving myself within the community, the body positive community and influencing in general, I almost felt I was performing. It isn't, it isn't necessarily a bad thing, but 
the more events I would go to, the more I found that I had to kind of um, not essentially make up a persona, but try as much as possible to be like bubbly and confident and speak to marketers and speak to PRs and speak to other people in the industry. And there was a degree of emphasizing, you know, my personality a bit more. And then at the end of the day or the end of the night, I'd go home and I'd be my quiet self. And then it got to a point where I just started doing it naturally. Like I'd been pretending to be this extroverted person for so long that now it doesn't, I don't have to think twice about doing it. And I honestly feel like it has changed my personality a bit. I love the idea of um, confidence kind of being a muscle that you can train and flex and and build up. That's, yeah. Is that how you see it, do you feel? Yeah, definitely. Because over time, it just felt like I was performing less and just being my genuine self more. And I think sometimes when you exist online, some people can have different personas online than than they do in person. So for me, Growing up, because I didn't have many friends and I was very introverted and quiet, my whole life was literally consisting of MySpace, High Five, Facebook, all of these um, social media sites. So it almost felt like I had created this completely different online personality as somebody that's bubbly and loud and funny and confident, even though I didn't feel like that in real life. Mm. Your fifth piece of advice is about dating. Can you share this with us? So my fifth piece of advice is when you're talking to guys on dating apps, don't just talk about all the tragic dates and traumatic life stories in the first instance. Okay. Kind of leave it until the third date. Mm -hmm. I like it. This is the new third date rule. (laughs) This is the new third date rule. Yeah. And the reason I say that is when you've had as many bad dating experiences as I have, it's really easy to want to tell that person, look, I've had this bad day and this bad day, and I don't want it to happen for this day. There is a degree of being very defensive and keeping your cards close to your chest and also being scared that, you know, this date will act in a way that makes you feel upset or um, that risk of the date going really badly. And so for me, what I found is whenever I would speak to somebody new or match somebody um, on a dating app, I'm the one that always ends up asking, what's the worst date you've been on? What's the worst thing that's happened to you? Um, Not only because of banter, but sometimes I've noticed that it allows me to also share the bad stuff that I've gone through. But equally, I understand why we feel we have to kind of say all of the bad things that happened. Because I think with every person or every new person that you speak to, even if you are a bit cynical about dating, there's always a small part of you that's like, oh, this could be the one or this could be the guy and I need to vet him and make sure that he's, you know, really cool. So let me just tell him like all of the tragic stuff that I've been through and hope that he's not like the others. But then I found, you know, every time I did that, uh, about two, three hours later, I'll find that I've been unmatched. So I'm like, oh, huh. okay, I will leave those conversations until a bit later. Yes. How do you find the dating scene being in London and on the apps? <laughs> You're just shaking your head there. It's so bad. Yeah. It's really, it's not good. I find it very difficult. And I think a lot of women, especially when you don't look how society wants you to look, it's really difficult to date when you are plus size, because I feel like 
the woman's worst case scenario is that they meet somebody who turns out to be like a serial killer mm-hmm. or, you know, an abuser or a rapist or something like that. That's like our worst case scenario. Whereas with men, sometimes it feels like the worst thing a woman can be when they meet up is fat, which is just so like... That imbalance gut, is... Gut-wrenching. Yeah. Like it, yeah, it's horrible. And so... I almost feel sometimes on dating apps, I feel like I have to put my weight as a disclaimer. There have been instances where I've gone on dates with people and they've said things like, oh, I didn't know that you were going to be this big. And then they walk out halfway through the date. Yeah, um, I went on a date where I had found his Twitter account sort of previous to the date and I followed him, but he didn't know that I was following him. He went, he got up to go to the bathroom and so as you do, when, when they go to the bathroom, I was just like scrolling through my social media and I could see he was live tweeting the day and he was talking about how disgusting I looked, but how he was going to tr- try and get to the end of the day anyway. And so when he came back, I literally like screenshot his tweets and I showed it to him and I got up and I left because I was like, this is just, this is just horrible. When you do have those instances, it does make you think, well, does that mean I need to lose weight in order to be seen as more desirable and more attractive? And then it's like, well, why, why should I do that? Why do I have to change and contort myself in order to appease what society finds beautiful? You also get guys who have um, fetishes for bigger bodies. And that's not a community that I've ever had any interest in exploring because I think it's quite objectifying and um, dehumanizing. But yeah, you do get guys who can be really really sexually explicit and very horrible when they approach your dms or they send a message and they say something really horrible about your body and it just makes you feel like it almost makes me feel like i only exist to be fetishized or ignored really yeah god that guy i I mean i'm glad that you screenshotted those tweets and showed it to him because it's one of those scenarios where you must have thought like what do i do what do i say and afterwards you will you think of things you wish you'd said so you know well done to you for doing that i mean what a nightmare when as far as dating nightmares go that's horrendous and he's now been shamed on grazia life advice podcast hopefully (laughs) (laughs) amazing uh your final piece of good advice Tell us about that. So my final piece of good advice is do more things that scare you. Okay. This is a quote that I remember seeing online maybe two or three years ago. And it was something like, life begins when you step outside of your comfort zone. And I feel like all my life I have lived within this tiny bubble of protection and having to always be on edge and defend myself and protect myself and not do things that I would deem too, you know, out there or extraordinary because I didn't want to get attention on how I looked on my body. So I, when I was younger, I never really went out. I didn't want to be the biggest person in the room. And I was generally just like scared of, (laughs) scared of a lot of things. And so as I got older, I was just like, I need to do more things that scare me because I find that it really helps with my self-growth. So I started traveling on my own. I was just like, you know what? I want to do something on my own completely like by myself. So I went to um, the Czech Republic a couple of times. I went to Hungary. I went to Italy, which I found to be, you know, really, you know, I, I know people love Italy, but it's actually really 
bad on the racism front. Yeah. I went to Japan last year on my own, um, ended up breaking my ankle, which was fun. No. Um, oh yeah, that was a story. I, um, <laughs> on the, on that trip as well, I actually ended up doing something else that I was also scared of. Um, not so much scared of, but it's just something that's never really appealed to me. Mm. And that was hiking. Right. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm just like, why would I want to walk up a hill mm. for like two hours? So um, I, I signed up to this uh, club that went hiking in the north of Japan. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to try it and see. Like, it's my worst case scenario. I just, I hate the whole thought of it. And I accidentally um, signed up to this hiking group where the hike was up a mountain and it was eight hours, I think, up and down. <laughs> and I was, I think, what was I wearing? I was wearing like really, really terrible shoes for it. Oh I didn't have God. water. And I got there and I was like, oh, everybody's wearing like proper like <laughs> hiking trainers and they have um, sticks as well to like climb up. And I was just here with my little backpack on. But you know what? I did it like it took such a long time and people had to keep slowing down because I was so slow, but I got to the top and I just cried because I was like, this is the first time that I've ever done something that I was genuinely scared of. And I completed it and I felt so good and it gave me the motivation to do it more. Unfortunately, as we were descending the mountain, the altitude got to me and I tripped on a tree root and I fell all the way down and I broke my ankle. <laughs> so then, so then, yeah, trying to kind of coordinate getting to a hospital in the middle of a very rural part of Japan was, uh, that was a journey. That was a ride, but I loved it. <laughs> I loved it all. I was, I taught myself how to speak, you know, simple Japanese phrases and all of these kinds of things. And so, you know, it made me feel so accomplished. And so after that, um, I went to St. Lucia and I did the same thing. I went on another hike up um, one of the mountains there and that was exhilarating. And so because I'd kind of conquered that, I now feel like I can almost like take on the world almost like it's such an amazing feeling to conquer something that you've always been frightened or scared to do. Mm. Fantastic. But just not with a broken ankle this time. That's good. <laughs> not with a broken ankle. <laughs> uh, we like to finish each podcast on a piece of worst advice you've ever been given. So tell us about that. So my worst advice, and it's the advice that I just can't stand, is when people say, you need to lose weight in order to get a boyfriend or maybe if you lost weight, you would be in a relationship. That was something that I heard my whole life growing up. I heard it from family members and I've heard it from like um, friends, mums as well. You know, people saying, oh, you're, you know, you're pretty, but if you lost weight, you'd be prettier. And it's just like, am I not pretty now? There's absolutely nothing wrong with losing weight, of course, but you have to be careful in, in how you're approaching that. So if you are losing weight from a place of, I love my body, I want to treat it correctly, I want to treat it well, I just want to be healthy and fit, you're going to lose weight in a way that is healthy and gradual and slow. However, if you're losing weight from a place of self-hate, 
then you want to have that weight gone as soon as possible. In that instance, you find ways in which to lose weight as quickly as possible. And in those circumstances, 99% of the time, they are very unhealthy practices. And that will just lead to the weight gaining back on anyway, as it did with me, you know, after Barcelona, all that weight came back on within a matter of like six or seven months. And so I, I, I really think, you know, telling people that, they could be prettier if they were smaller. It's just, it's so harmful. It's not, you know, it's not the encouraging piece of advice that people think it is. No, I mean, it's harmful, but it's also none of their business, is it? And what I think we keep coming back to is why is your body anybody else's business that they think they can comment on? It's it's crazy. Exactly, exactly. And to end on a higher note, you obviously have this book coming out. You're this really successful blogger and all of that has come from the way you look. Not all of it, I shouldn't say that. A lot of it has come from the way you look. And how does it feel to turn that on its head and have something that people have felt they can criticise their whole life actually? be key to your success oh it's a bit mad I'm I'm not gonna lie like it's really really overwhelming because like I said earlier I've always been this very shy quiet retiring wallflower like I, I I can't even comprehend like the last year alone it's been really really mad and I guess for me it stemmed from you know wanting to see images and content that would have helped me when I was younger. Um, when I was younger, I didn't have anybody that I looked up to really, um, with the exception of people like maybe Missy Elliott, who was, you know, US based. But I didn't see women who looked like me on TV in a in a positive way. It was always very negative. It was always they either played uh, slaves or they played the help or they played, you know, very overly aggressive um, black stereotypes or they were played by men such as, you know, Martin Lawrence in Big Mama's House or like Eddie Murphy or, you know, Tyler Perry playing, you know, these maternal old plus size women, always the subject of laughs and jokes and like, you know, body shaming and things. And so I didn't see anybody or any characters that, you know, were just everyday successful people, but were just fat and black. And so for me, everything that I do, I do for that, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old um, plus size girl who is looking for normality and looking for their body to be normalized so it's so incredible that I get the opportunity to kind of be that for for young girls and boys and and so yeah it's just it's yeah it's overwhelming I think is, is, the, is the word that I'll use like it's it's incredible it's amazing thank you thank you Stephanie I've absolutely loved talking to you all success with the book oh thank you so much I hope you enjoyed hearing from Stephanie. I'm sad to say this is the last episode in our current run. If you have just discovered the podcast, we've got a back catalogue of over 50 chats like this one. As I always say, it's rammed full of women worth listening to. Some of my favourite episodes, we had Dolly Alderton, Emma Barnett, Davina McCall, everyone you could think of. And you can find all those episodes in your podcast feed as long as you're subscribed. Please tell your friends, tell your neighbours, talk about us on social media and we'll see you soon.